This week at Hope Point. When people begin to think it's sort of cool, I'm going to reject church. I'm going to reject scripture. I'm going to reject the tradition of my parents that was sacred to them that they got from church and scripture. I'm just rejecting it all and I'm going to just go em- embrace the most foreign ideas that are now presented in culture. I just want to tell you with the warning of the trumpet of revelation that the beliefs that are being promoted now in our culture where people think, well, this is sort of fun and cool to go this route. They're demonic and they end in destruction. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as Richard speaks to us from God's holy word. I was talking with a friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he pulled a typical joke of, um, I know how revelation, I know how to teach revelation, Jesus wins. And that joke used to be funny about 400 years ago. But the reason why I don't like people saying, I know revelation, Jesus wins, is because the book really doesn't benefit you unless you know how he wins. That he wins through a lot of pain on earth. He wins by taking us through a lot of perseverance on earth. He wins by, in the middle of all of these trials, showing his reliability and the fact that he's in control in the midst of the chaos. So it's not enough to know that he wins, but how he wins. One way to say it is like this. If we only look for the war to be over, we will be ill-equipped to fight the thousand battles that come before. So you have a lot of people always saying, I wish Jesus would come back today. It's a good prayer. But until he does come back, there are battles to be fought today. And you've got to really believe that Jesus is reliable, which that's what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation is set up along three trials. That's sort of the whole book is is on these trials. I told you last week they're called trials involving, they start off with the opening of seals, the sounding of trumpets, the pouring out of bowls. So the three trials are called the trials of the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. Each one of them has seven components. And if you read the book of Revelation all the way through, as you can see the chapter references at the bottom, you'll think, oh, they happen one after the other. Well, if you read the book like that, then you'll always be trying to guess, well, did that happen in uh, 760 AD? Did this happen in 1249? And is this happening now? But that's not how the book is to be read. All of these things happen, interestingly, at the same time. I'll get to that in a minute. But here's why the book can be confusing to some of you. When you get to the end of each of the judgments, the world is over. It's like at the end of chapter 6, the end. Jesus comes back, world is destroyed. We'll see that at the end of chapter 10, verse 11, with the second set. The end. World is over. Jesus is reigning in his kingdom, and then it happens again. So you say, why did the right... So what's happening in the book of Revelation? See, if it's not linear, what is it? Well, all of these are happening at the same time. In other words, the writer is retelling the same story three times through three different sets of judgments, but it's the same thing just with different emphasis. That's how you're to read it because this causes the million-dollar question, why in the world does he repeat like he does? I mean, why wouldn't it be just chapter 6, end, let's go home? Because you're slow learners, and so am I. 
And you have to hear the story again that right in the middle of chaos, Jesus is in control. He's not allowing, nothing happens unless Jesus allows it to happen. He's using it for good. We're going home. And over and over again, I talked with a surgeon in our church a few months ago. I I love this. I asked him, I said, all right, I want you to think about the day that you went into your first uh, surgery. Now, without an attending there, like you were a resident, had an attending watching over everything. The first time it was just you and the patient. Were you scared? He said, absolutely not. He said, because by that time, I had already done that procedure 1,000 times with my attending. It's repetition is what prepares you for the battle. We had a Wofford's golf coach in the the first service, and I read the other day that the average PGA player hits 500 golf balls a day. So therefore, when you're watching the British Open this afternoon, it's not luck. He's done it over and over again. They are ready because repetition is is necessary for it to face huge responsibilities. So now let's look at the second set of judgments, which are just like the first ones, just a different angle. They're called the trumpet judgments. Oh, let me just say this. I forgot this statement. Many church members say, I want Jesus to come back soon. So until he does, I think I'll run and hide and do fun things until he does. Because that's really how we, like we say, I just don't want to hear about these, these trumpet judgments. I just want to go do fun things. Well, the rest of the world is suffering and culture is collapsing. So you go do fun things, but you're going to not be able to be involved in the activity of God. You've got to be ready. So we want to be ready. So Jesus tells us again how the world will end. This is the same story, second time around, the trumpet judgments. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. To begin with, we're not at all surprised that this series of judgments begins with the sounding of a trumpet, because in times of antiquity, all battles begin with some guy out front sounding a trumpet, and then the army came. This is just saying, this is how battles begin. We also love the fact that a trumpet sounding, the beginning of a battle, reminds us of the big trumpet that may sound before the church service is out. 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself, this is the return of Jesus, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. The whole world's going to hear this trumpet at one time. And and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are caught, or we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in in the air. When I was writing this message this week, I said, man, I really would like to end right here. That is so good. Trumpet, return of Christ. But we really can't end there because the reason for all the trumpets in the book of Revelation And those trumpets are really being sounded through the church, through biblical teachings. So thank you for helping me sound the trumpet. The trumpets are to warn the world, and to warn us too, but to warn the world that that greater judgment is coming. Remember, when you see when you see judgment in in this world, like Ukraine, there was another disastrous bomb, like 
it wasn't misplaced, it was deliberately, it just targeted just three or four days ago, civilians again. And when you look at Ukraine and you say, that would be hell to live there right now. Well, that's a very appropriate statement because when you see war and disease and death and automobile wrecks and drunk drivers, all of these things are trying to tell you hell is one million times worse. So the trumpets are warnings out of a loving mouth of God. Don't go to hell. You don't have to go to hell. But if you choose to, it's a lot worse than anything you've ever seen in Ukraine. Here's the type of warning that comes through trumpets. Joel 2, this one he's warning of an invasion of locusts that were coming um, and armies after that. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom and God sent a bunch of locusts to wipe out all of their crops because of their disobedience and then armies came after that. And it's interesting, when you look at the book of Revelation and all the sounding of these trumpets, these warnings, like there's time to repent. Nobody listened. We won't get to this today, but at the end of the trumpet judgments, we read this summary. The rest of mankind who were not killed by the trumpet judgments, the plagues, they still did not repent of the work of their hands. Listen, if I were in our culture right now, in our world right now, I would just be starting to do some serious thinking of, I think something weird is up. It's just crazy weird what's going on. I would think, like it seems like everything is sort of chaotic and it's it's like trumpet warnings. There's time to come to God to be forgiven. I I would listen to these trumpets from Jesus. Now back to verse seven. You can see with this first angel and his trumpet judgment that a third of the earth was affected by it now you remember in the when we retold when we told the story the first time in chapter six the number was one-fourth of the earth now it's up to one-third you may have missed that in math class but one-third is greater than one-fourth so now we've got more destruction we've got more negative painful influences so as we get to the return of christ We're going to see more and more destruction. Now, when he's talking about hail falling, um, I really think this could go a couple ways, but I think in ancient times when hail fell upon the crops, all of a sudden there was a massive food shortage. And you see the trees being burned up. When enemy used to make their way through uh, lands that they were attacking, they made sure they burned up all the farmland so that the people would die of starvation. So I think one of the indicators that we are moving closer and closer to the return of Christ might be the very problem of having enough food for uh, populations on, on, this, on this earth. The second angel sounded his trumpet. Remember, there's seven of them in here, seven parts of the trumpets. And something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So now the oceans are affected. And if I were you, I wouldn't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what huge mountain fell in the ocean. I mean, it could be volcanic activity. I don't really think the the point of the story is what caused this 
this cosmic disturbance. But what is clear, it seems like there is a massive disruption of commerce on the oceans, on the seas, because of the rebellion of mankind. In fact, that little verse I put at the bottom, Revelation 18, 19, says that the world will mourn the great worldly city of Babylon, which is just a reference to worldly commerce, when they see that the ships could no longer function as they once did in Revelation chapter 18, verse 19. But it's not just salt water that's affected, it's fresh water too. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become, become bitter. Wormwood is simply a root, uh, a plant that is so bitter that if you were to put it in a large supply of water, the water would basically be undrinkable, almost like drinking a, a pool of, of Alka-Seltzer. It's just horrible, so nobody had fresh drinking water anymore. And so people want to know what, exactly what caused this. It, a number of things. A meteorite could hit a large uh, portion of the earth affecting the fresh drinking water. Uh, nuclear, uh, nuclear weapons can just totally destroy the water supply. And we know that even now when we look around the world, the number one problem in most third world countries is a lack of fresh water. And we're grateful for David Sullivan who works with the Water of Life in Greenville that they go to these places and, and they drill willing, uh, it, it wells for, for water sometimes three or 4,000 feet deep. And, and uh, you were a part of that through your giving. Thank you for that. But what's interesting is with all of the, the places around the world that do not have fresh, clean drinking water, it is amazing that the world is still not crying out to God for help. Exactly what we saw in these trumpets, that is, even though things are catastrophic in the world in regard to fresh water, people are not coming to Jesus and saying, please, please, please help us. Now, I do want to say one thing about this this great star, this is line two for me on, on Revelation 8 in verse 10. The great star that fell from heaven. I want to shift right now away from interpreting this as a meteorite or nuclear explosion. I want to interpret this as, I really think that from here on out in the book of Revelation, and we're going to see that maybe John is shifting to the figurative use of this word star, and it is a reference to a descent of a new type of satanic activity on the world. I think it's going figurative on us. And you say, well, how can you switch back and forth between the physical and the spiritual? All I can tell you is the book of Revelation is extremely comfortable in doing that. So you don't really need to get all tied up. Is this, is this a physical description? Could be fresh drinking water, or it could be a description of Satan coming down and disrupting culture and society so much that people now are leaving church and leaving truth and they're thirsting to death because there's nothing out there that will satisfy their souls. We'll say more about that later. But the reason I think this falling star is a good possibility it could be Satan is we saw in the early chapters of Revelation that Stars and angels are the same. It's just an, an, in apocalyptic literature, that's what they say. See, the star, it's an angel. And we do know about one angel, the most wicked of all angels, that fell to earth. 
in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled uh, to the earth and his angels with him. So I think when John is talking about a, a star coming down and, and creating disruption, cosmic disruption, I think, it's, I think it's a new release of satanic and demonic power. I think it will become even far more clear as we make our way through, through the book. Um, I think Satan, in the, the times that we approach Christ, we will see him increasing in his ability to make the world bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. This verse is very important in Revelation to prove my point that, <clears throat> that the book tells the story the same way three different times. Because the reason why is when it says a third of the stars, where are they? Where is it? A third of the stars down, one, two, three, four lines for me. A third of the stars uh, fell out of the sky. Well, at the end of Revelation chapter six, it says all the stars were destroyed. So how can we have a third of them if all of them were destroyed in chapter 6? Because he's telling the same story again. Sort of proof of my point. Also, I want to tell you that you say, is the book of Revelation, you say, well, I think it's 100% literal. I don't think you need to say that on this verse. Because here the Bible says a third of the sun was destroyed. What happens to us if a third of that great ball of fire goes away? We die. Nobody's living if a third of the sun goes away. So I think what's happening here is, again, it is John's way of just saying new darkness, moral, spiritual darkness, a new wave of darkness inspired by this falling star Satan and his demon demonic activity. New darkness is falling upon the land. I think that's metaphorically what he's saying through this, this uh, principle. Now, you guys probably remember in... Uh, 1980, when Mount St. Helens blew its top, they um, said the power was 10 million tons of TNT, the, the power, and 800 billion pounds of pulverized rock went up into the air, and air traffic was stopped in Europe for one month. So we know that, you know, the, 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 that we, we have seen cosmic disturbances before where it just shut down everything. But again, I think this is really more of of, of, of John trying to say there is a something will, have, will happen at the end of times where there's just a darkness, increasing darkness over the minds and the hearts of, of, of many, many people. I think this is where you really start to see this happen. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by three other, other angels. Now, let me just tell you that when the Bible chooses to use the word woe, doesn't use it a lot. When the Bible uses the word woe, I don't know what word you would use in your life if you're like maybe trying to warn somebody of danger, what, what word comes out of your mouth. But for the Bible, when it says, I'm gonna to try to find the, the strongest word of warning. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's woe. Remember when Isaiah saw God in all of his holiness? He said, woe to me. Woe. 
I have seen God and I'm about to be destroyed. I'm not ready. So what three woes are huge of saying you've never seen destruction and demonic activity like this on the earth. And three, three woes are coming. We're only going to look at woe number one with the fifth trumpet. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. Again, I think this hammering home, this angel, wicked angel falling, star falling. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. So what we see in this verse is Satan is cast out of heaven, comes to earth, has a key, which means that as we know, the devil has great authority. He had great authority as an angel, cast out of earth, and he has great authority as signified by this key, and he uses this key to unlock this chamber in hell. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth. So now, once again, if you say, I'm a literalist, Revelation is always literally exactly as it's written. That means that you should be looking forward to, in the next few years, a bunch of locusts running all over the city, all over the state, all over the world. That's how the world's going to end. We get eaten up by locusts. I don't think, I don't think it's literal locusts. I think John is simply writing to people, farmers who would understand that when locusts came, they invaded and they touched every piece of property on that, of crops, and they destroyed it all, and so when they left, it was all destroyed. I think John is trying to tell us again, there is a new wave of demonic activity that is coming upon culture like we've never seen, and it's touching everything that we would say once is untouchable. New darkness, new demonic darkness, and they're destroying everything except believers who've been protected from their mind-altering ability. The locusts have the ability to affect minds, possess bodies, confuse our thinking, but not of, not of those who know Christ. Look at this. Out of the smoke... Locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree. Don't really have much to say about that. Doesn't mean that much to me. I don't really know what he's getting at with that. This is what I know he wants us to understand. But only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So the, these locusts, this new demonic invasion they have the ability to get inside the minds and the hearts and the bodies of everybody, but not believers who've been sealed by the Spirit of God. We saw this in Revelation chapter 7, that before all of this started, God sealed those who belonged to him, and they could never be affected by this new wave of demonic activity. But for everybody else, this demonic influence is horrifyingly strong. Look how John describes their influence. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold. 
and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. That means destroyer. The first woe is past. The other two woes are yet to come. So again, I think what we're seeing is as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, there's going to be a demonic invasion that is stronger than we've ever seen to confuse the hearts and the minds and thinking of people. And I want to let you know, these demons are being released at the invitation of culture. You say, why would God release this? Why would he give Satan the key to unlock it? It's because culture is saying, I don't want to believe truth anymore. I want something else. And when culture tells God, I don't trust you. I trust what culture is saying. God says, you can have it in more abundance than you've ever, ever thought. And this is what's happening. Demonic teachers of that which is completely hostile to God are being released on culture. And the kind of their, the result of their work is, is destruction. That's what Apollyon means is the destroyer. It is amazing when people begin to think it's sort of cool, I'm gonna reject church, I'm gonna reject scripture, I'm gonna reject the tradition of my parents that was sacred to them that they got from church and scripture. I'm just rejecting it all and I'm gonna just go em embrace the most foreign ideas that are now presented in culture. The result of that is destruction. Like, in other words, it feels sort of fun and cool to be rebellious. Satan lures people in and says, uh, you could, I'm your friend, not God. I'm your friend. Church is not your friend. Media over here is your friend. This is how Dennis Johnson says the result of all that is destruction. The devil rewards his loyal subjects with cruel torture. I just want to tell you Again, with the warning of the trumpet of revelation that the beliefs that are being promoted now in our culture where people think, well, this is sort of fun and cool to go this route, they're demonic and they end in destruction. Like it's, it's dangerous. It's, I watched the movie last week. Uh, it was produced by John Walsh. It's, the title of it is What is a Woman? And he went around the country, went around the world interviewing people in academia, uh, people in science, people in universities, young and old, cities, villages. It was a village in Africa. What's a woman? Nobody knew. And those who did knew said, it changes Somebody could be a woman 
this day and she could change and become a man the next. John Walsh, what is a woman? I'm telling you, these types of teachings that are so new that somebody cannot, remember, it just used to be so plain, objective truth. You look at a boy, he's a boy. You look at a girl, it's a girl. And now we say we don't know. That is intentionally trying to deny truth. And it's dangerous. And it's happening because of increasing darkness that a new release of demonic thinking. So that's what's being described in these verses. Humanity is filled with despair. And did you notice when we read the verses that humanity in these verses, they're tormented for five months and they sought death and could not find it? What happens when people toy around with demonic beliefs because they just feel cool? Culturally, like I might get some acceptance if I go this way. It's like a a high school girl who gives herself in every conceivable way to the high school quarterback. And then he uses her only to then gather with his friends and mock her later. His whole point in getting involved with her was to destroy her. This is what Apollyon, Abaddon, does to his followers. Lures them in with odd, maybe exciting, fun teaching, counter to old, boring church and tradition, biblical tradition, and then he destroys them. And so one of the reasons that we know that we are approaching the return of Christ is the increasing despair that is in our, in our country. I read this week, I didn't know Gallup Poll did this. They released it June of this year. It's, it's called the Global Emotions Report. They went to 122 countries to interview people on the level of happiness in the world right now. After viewing, interviewing people from 122 countries, it was concluded there is far greater stress and worry and sadness in our world today than ever before, and we're the richest we've ever been. Somebody told me this week that he knew of a person that was, um, was given a $13 million trust by his family every year, a new $13 million, and he was found in his house dead at age 42 from, uh, he drunk himself to death. But that's sort of a picture of all of the culture right now. So much, so much, we're, and yet so much unhappiness. And because at the end of all of chasing after sin, Abaddon, Apollyon comes to destroy. I like how C.S. Lewis says that God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. So Apollyon comes to bring dissatisfaction and darkness and despair and Jesus Christ comes to bring, to bring happiness. So you say today, well, gosh, I don't want to be influenced by all this new rise of darkness, moral, emotional, spiritual dissatisfaction that's brought about by a new wave of demonic activity. There's a way to be freed from that, to, to have the seal of God placed on your life, and no demonic teaching can ever affect your mind. If you say yes to Christ, look at this, Ephesians chapter one, and you were also included. These are, these are people in the city of Ephesus that were once pagans. Now they were included in Christ. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit. So in the book of Revelation, you're either marked with a seal and these, this demonic horde cannot get to you or you're marked with the beast and the demons can have at it, resulting in Abaddon, Apollyon, destruction. You say, well, what, what do I believe? What do I need to believe? What, so that having believed the gospel of yourself, you, it's Jesus. You believe that he created everything by the Father's right hand. And 2,000 years ago, he left his place in heaven, became a man, donned the body of a human, lived 33 years sinless, and was crucified by the Father's plans that while on the cross dying, all of our sin might be absorbed into the perfect body of Jesus Christ. He literally died to take away your guilt. After Jesus was buried, he stayed in a, in a tomb for three days, but then he rose from the grave to prove that he has more strength than the strongest power we know of on earth, which is death. And he conquered death and he rose from the grave. And anybody who says, yes, Jesus, I believe you did that for me. The Bible says you will be sealed with the Holy Spirit. He will come into your life. He will bring to you the righteousness of God. He'll bring the peace of God. He'll bring the power of God, the love of God. And he will seal you that all of this in Revelation, all of this darkness will never come upon your heart and your mind. We might live in a tough world where we die of an earthquake, we die of famine, we die of persecution, but we'll never die by, the, by giving ourselves to the false teaching of this demonic influence. Let me close with a story, one of my favorite stories in the book of Luke. Jesus gathers 72 of his disciples. He had 12 that hang, hung with him most of the time, but evidently they did some training courses and they grew to 72. <laughs> so this is after the training course, this is, a, I'm sending you out, guys. And gals, Luke 10, 7, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. What a mission. And they were very successful at it. They were so jacked that when they came back from their short-term mission trip, they told Jesus this good news. Even the demons submit to us in your name. So you had a bunch of guys out there in a dark culture like ours and out there preaching Jesus, sounding the trumpet warning, and the demons are submitting. And Jesus said, I knew that was happening. He told them that. He said, I saw it happening. He said to them, I re he replied, I saw Satan fall like, like lightning from heaven. He said, I saw all of that happening. I saw the spiritual warfare. I saw the cosmic battle that the more you preached, the more Satan worked, you know, bring it up to the 21st century. The more you preach, the more Satan opposes the truth and the church. He said, but I also saw in the middle of this cosmic battle, people being set free. I saw you go to villages and you preach the gospel. And I saw people delivered from demonic beliefs. I saw they had believed the wrong thing all their life. And they, they chose the wrong path all their life. And they were free. They were free. Jesus said, I saw that. I knew that Satan was falling as you were preaching. And I rejoice with you. And the Bible says in Luke 10, there was great joy over that spiritual revival. Let me close with this. There's a very powerful demonic influence working in our culture right now as we've never seen it. It's moving through our nation like a very powerful, dark train. And many people from high schools to colleges to powerful companies 
are getting on this train because it seems to be cool. It seems to be profitable. To be anti-everything that God is. And they're partying on that train because the demons have told them, on this train is where life is. So they've gotten on this train. And more and more people are leaving, exiting the church and getting on this long black train. But along the way, some people are saying to themselves, this is not life on this train. This is not joy. This is death. I, w- I have been brought here to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be destroyed. My life is not what I thought it was going to be when I got on the train. And this train is headed to nowhere. If that's your story, the Bible says as soon as you say yes to Jesus Christ, you can get off that train. You say, yes, I believe you died for me. He'll take you off of that train that's headed to nowhere and he'll put you on a, put you on a course and on one day a chariot driven by the angels to the city of God. So it's your choice in life. You can either believe the lies of the one who, who drives that long black train that's headed to nowhere or you can believe Jesus Christ who died and rose again and promises that no matter what you've done or where you've been, if you would say yes to him, his forgiveness and his joy and his life and his love will come into your life, seal you with the Holy Spirit and the promise for all of eternity is you'll live with him in the city of God. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.